Hello and welcome back to Africa Science Focus, the show that dives into the continent's science breakthroughs and technology innovations. Now I'm probably an unfamiliar voice to you, I'm the producer of the show, Harrison Lewis, and for the next few weeks I've got the exciting job of taking you back through some of the most important issues that we talked about this season. I know it's hard to believe that we're already coming to the end of a second season here of Africa Science Focus. Last week, the University of Ghana's new Vice-Chancellor, Nana Abba Apia Ampho, told us how important it is for scientists to help the general public to understand the amazing but complex research that's happening right now on the continent. Today, we'll hear again from some of the best science communicators who've come on the show to tell you about their work. We'll learn about the cradle of humankind, where some of the world's most important human fossils have been found. We'll hear how Uganda's long school shutdown may have affected learning. And we'll also find out why Africa needs to develop a better understanding of dementia. First though, let's jump in our time machines to visit our early ancestors with paleoanthropologist Kanilawe Molopiane. Though you may know Dr Molopiane by her science superhero name Bones. Bones told our editor Fiona Broom how she and the other members of the super scientist squad are inspiring new generations of adventurers and scientists. So I, I, I knew about super science for uh, a couple of months before I was approached by Justin Yarrow. And I was just captivated by, by the artwork and just the idea that a scientist could be a superhero, right? So I was I was fangirl liking almost all the Instagram posts and following them on Twitter. And then I got a DM on my Instagram like, hey, we really like what you're doing and your sitcom work. Um, would you like to be like a super scientist? So did you come up with your persona bones yes so i i came up with bones bones was already in existence to be fair very much like me she has um signature red hair which i wear as well and that is homage to our underwater adventures you know the little mermaid ariel with the red hair and even the suit that she wears uh it's a white suit with yellow reflectors and that is a similar suit to what I wear when I'm working underground. And I'm holding a skull of Homina Lady. Well, it's supposed to look like Homina Lady. We're going to change it. I'm like, no, keep it, keep it. Because that's how I, I got into paleoanthropology. Um, so I think Bones has always been around. And to put all those elements together to actually create her as a persona, fantastic. Are there a lot of opportunities in Southern Africa? Um, to find these kinds of remains? Oh, yes, yes. Um, I'm from Johannesburg, so I'm in Gauteng, and about 45 to 50 kilometers from Johannesburg is an area called the Cradle of Humankind. And it's called that because a lot of the fossil remains over the past 100 years have actually come from this region of the country. So it's quite rich in fossils. Um, you mentioned um, that you're a fellow at the Center for the Exploration of the Deep Human Journey. This is a fascinating title. What is the Deep Human Journey and what are you exploring? Well, the Deep Human Journey, I like to think of it as the new buzzword for evolution. The way that we understand evolution has changed. Uh, when I was in school, it was taught in a very linear fashion. So if you imagine the an image of the progression of man, it's going from one stage to the other, to the other, to the other. 
And what's happening now with looking at the deep human journey is that we've realized that it's not linear, but there are many branches or streams that protrude from it. So it could be a bush, it could be seen as a river or a stream with lots of tributaries. So it's quite complex, and, and that is the essence of, I think, the human journey is understanding how all these things link together or are not linked together at all. Would other parts of the world be as rich in fossils or is there something specific about that area? Oh, yes, I mean, any area has the potential to yield any artifacts or, or fossils, right? It all comes down to preservation. Uh, now, the cradle is quite unique in that it is mostly made up of lots of Dolomite caves, which tend to preserve these bones very well, right? So it's it's a context in which the bones or the artifacts are found that will determine whether they're going to survive or not. And yes, we have all these developing areas around us, and that tends to disturb the ground. And you might find that there were some artifacts there, not necessarily fossils, but maybe some archaeological artifacts, but during the building processes that got destroyed. So yeah, it's all about the environments in which all these things are found. There you go, a super quick introduction to paleoanthropology there from Kanilawe Malopiane. And we'll have details on how you can catch up on the full interview at the end of the show. Stick around. Now, science communication isn't just a way to inspire younger generations to pursue education. It's also essential as a tool for teachers and educators. Just after Uganda's schools reopened earlier this year, we spoke with the education and science communication guru, Connie Shimarewe, who told us her unusual relationship with science had made her one of Uganda's leading science and policy facilitators. Africa Science Focus host Michael Kloki helped us tell the story. Dr. Shimlewe has studied what's called educational measurement. That's how to measure students' knowledge, skills and interests. Schools in Uganda have just reopened after the world's longest pandemic shutdown. Students were out of school for almost two years. Dr. Shimlewe says more than 10 million students are now trying to adjust to life back in the classroom. COVID-19 and those two years of lockdown or school closure have made an already complex situation even more complex. You hear of what they call learning losses. Because children have been out of school, even what they had learned, they have lost. So if a child was in S2, when they go back, even what they knew as an S2 child or student, they've lost. They might have regressed to like P7 level. So there's the learning loss that is being dealt with. And as you say, some of them perhaps already felt what was the point of school. Ah, School is just all these classroom activities, teachers telling you to read this, you have to copy these notes. It was very difficult for them to connect this schooling to real life. So now perhaps schooling has become even more alien to them. Men outnumber women in science around the world, particularly in Africa. For decades, education advocates have been working to boost the number of girls who study subjects like technology, mathematics, and physics. This is because people from different backgrounds offer new perspectives and can bring new solutions 
to old problems. I think <clears throat> my story is similar to a lot of scientists that I know, and that is that you fall into the science field. You happen to do physics or maths well. As a girl, it's even more wonderful, I suppose, that you, that you do science as well. So I remember when I was going to A-level, I, I tried to do economics because I hated chemistry. But my headmistress came to the class and told me, Connie, you're not going to do economics, go to the chemistry class. She said, you know, there are not many girls that can do chemistry. You can do chemistry. I don't care if you hate it, you're going to do it. But I think scientific training is actually extremely important and useful to me to this day. And I think even when I look at the education system and I want to understand the problems or the issues in the education system, the mind that I bring to it is quite analytical, quite mathematical even. For me, that's also one of the unfortunate parts of the way we split science and arts so early. We all need science training and engineers need to be well-versed in the humanities, in philosophy and so on. And lawyers or journalists also need to have a good grounding in in scientific concepts. And Dr. Shimarewe believes that the future of science communication in Africa is very bright. I think we African scientists are becoming more confident in our abilities to research our own problems. We are beginning to realize that for far too long, our problems have been defined by the outside. But the more we do this policy-engaged research or community-engaged research, the more we realize that some of the questions that we have spent our lives dealing with were actually questions that do not, that are not, that don't come from the grassroots. So I have hope that the future of of scientific research in uh, Africa is going to become more and more informed by our own voices as Africans and be much more responsive to the challenges that we face and, and come up with much more appropriate solutions. As for science communication, I'd like to think that we are also gradually beginning to appreciate the, the value of communicating our science to the public. Africa is facing a rising number of cases of dementia and Alzheimer's disease. Dementia is a term that describes a range of brain disorders that affect memory, thinking, behaviour and emotion. And Alzheimer's disease is the most common form of dementia. It mostly affects elderly people, but younger members of the population can also experience it. Michael met with psychologist Elizabeth Matunga to find out how she became such a passionate advocate for people living with dementia. So this journey started in uh, 2007 when I realised that there was lack of information about dementia. Around 92, my dad started showing symptoms that we were not understanding what the problem was. But later, after about 15 years, that's when we were told that it's actually dementia, Alzheimer's type. And so for me... I thought I wouldn't want somebody else to go through that because they do not understand what they're dealing with. And so started the organization to try and help other caregivers understand where to seek help. And maybe if you could just um, 
elaborate a little bit for me about what it was like helping your father deal with the condition? I don't think I actually helped him deal with the condition. I think because of lack of understanding, because we thought either he was pretending or he was just being difficult or he's just refusing to do what we want him to do. Little did we know that it was actually a disease and he was also struggling. So later now when I look back, there are many times, like for example, he would wake up on a Tuesday and say it is a Sunday and he's going to church. And here I am picking the calendar and marking it for him and telling him, no, today is Tuesday, so we shall we have all these other days before Sunday. Sunday, and then this is where you go to church. And then he tells me, do I look like a two-year-old? So he felt belittled. So a lot of times we, we would have these fights that would have been avoided if I had understood better what the condition is. Because once you understand what they're going through and you get into their world, you are able to give better care. Is there a better understanding now of dementia in the country from your perspective? Um, I can say there are steps to better understanding the condition than before, but we are not there yet. Still, a lot of people associate it with either witchcraft or somebody must have done something to the gods, so they're getting punished for it. So there's still a lot of work still required to bring the awareness, but we are not where we were at when we started creating awareness initially. Could you talk to me a bit more about that cultural perspective in regards to dementia? There's the stigma related to it. You mentioned witchcraft there. Could you perhaps expound a bit more on that? So a lot of people, because of lack of understanding, have a lot of fears and thinking that if they're associated with somebody who's got dementia, then they could get it. Like even when I would talk about my dad's condition, a lot of people would say, no, that is a Western condition. People in Africa don't get that disease. Elizabeth set up the Alzheimer's and Dementia Organization Kenya, which supports families and people living with dementia. They have a helpline, provide counselling and run training sessions to tackle misunderstandings about the disease. And well, there you have it. That's it for today. That's three of our best science communicators from the past season packed into one show for you. To catch up on the full interviews, all you got to do is head to the SciDevNet website. That's www.scidev.net. Or search for Africa Science Focus on your favourite podcast app. Africa Science Focus is produced by SciDevNet and distributed in association with your local radio station. Today's editor, as always, was Fiona Broom. I'm Harrison Lewis. Thanks for listening. And until next time, goodbye.